16, verses 9 to 16, and that's on page 1023 of your green Bibles. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Great, Flory, thank you very much indeed. As we sit, uh, you might like to have page 1023, John chapter 15, open, and a short word of prayer as we invite God by his spirit to speak through his word, to shape our lives for his glory. Father, it's that, as we look at Jesus' words to his followers, preparing them for their mission Speak to us in the context of our mission here. Teach us, challenge us, guide us, we pray. Feed us through your word, empower us by your spirit. And all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, these next few weeks are intentionally designed with um, maybe the newcomer in mind. If you're a visitor here, you're uh, wanting to kind of check us out uh, and just see perhaps you're new to the area and you're wanting to see what the different churches have to offer, if you like, and how you might fit in. And uh, so it's in anticipation of that that these next few weeks before October, the rest of September, I want, in a sense, to attempt to lay out a little bit of who we think we are as God's people here in Parsons Green. Um, hopefully it's a refresher. We don't do this um, really too often for the rest of the year. So for those of us who are regulars, hopefully it's a bit of a refresher. helps us to come into land off the summer holidays. You're all looking wonderfully refreshed, tanned, relaxed. Um, so it helps us to get our head in gear, as it were. Together with the PCC, that's the, 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 the leadership body comprised from amongst the church, we have come up with a, a vision. By that, I mean a preferred picture of the future. A picture of the future that hopefully energizes us and draws us in to play our part in that picture. To, to, to visualize what God is calling us to become collectively, corporately here, and to ask of myself, where do I fit in with the picture? What part do I play? 
We've tried to sum up that picture in a sentence, and it's this. You'll see it on our website and on some of our literature. It is to glorify God. That, that's, that's why human beings exist, ultimately, to make God look good in their lives. To glorify God by being the Christ-centered family in Parsons Green. We seek under God and by his power and his inspiration to be the Christ-centered family in Parsons Green. And if we break down that, that sentence into some component parts, you'll see that we aspire to be a relational body. We are beings in relationship, created by the God in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so there is a, an element in which we want to focus on our relationships up, as it were, Christ-centered. We want to focus on our relationships in, so we're family. And we want to focus on our relationships to the wider world, so we're, we're a Christ-centered family in Parsons Green and beyond. We don't want to be restrictive to the geographical area of Parsons Green, but just we want to go out from here with the love of God in our hearts. Uh, so it is, um, and I'll expand a bit more on this in the, the vision night on Tuesday, that um, if we try to do all of that all the time, we'll burn ourselves out and fall flat on our faces. So we have, if you like, seasons, um, terms, academic terms, where we focus on one particular element of that. It undergirds all else. This term, this season is, is gathering in. We invite people in here so that in the spring term we might grow up in God. So that in the summer when the sun shines and no one wants to be inside, usually in the summer the sun shines, um, we go out. Uh, and so there's a kind of annual rhythm in the way in which we try and flesh out our vision. I wonder if you've noticed in that reading that we had here, this is part of Jesus, what's known as Jesus' farewell discourse. He's preparing his followers for when he's leaving. Did you notice up in out? The, the context is all about out. He's about to say to them later on, chapter 17, chapter 20, it's recorded in John, as the Father sent me, so I send you. The followers, the disciples, are told to stay in Jerusalem, but soon the Spirit will come and empower them to go into the rest of Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Out is at the heart of what God calls us to do and be in his name, to be a missional, moving out people. But look at the start of our reading, verse 9, chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. In other words, be Centered, rooted, soaked in me. There's the up. And you, you, you saw the command. Uh, my command, verse 12, is this. Love each other as I have loved you. In verse 17, he sums it up. This is my command. Love each other. There's the in, the family, if you like. Today, I want to focus just for a few minutes on that element of our vision, that element of our corporate life together, the, the inn at St. Dionys, hence the sermon title. Inn at St. Dionys, it is Jesus' command, verse 12. Love each other as I have loved you. And look what happens as a result. As a result of focusing in, because you may be a little bit nervous 
some of you, as I say, we're going to focus on in, and you're thinking, well, yeah, typical church. Little clique, huddled away, totally irrelevant to the rest of the world. All sort of in, focused on a sort of, I don't know, a kind of soppy love-in. All inward-looking, inward-focused. But notice the dynamic relationships here, that as we love one another, we are actually following Jesus' command. And verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So actually loving one another is how we remain in love with God. He's given us one another to train with, if you like, to practice with, to live amongst, so that we might keep kindled the very love that inspires the whole thing in the first place. The love for God. Loving one another and obeying Jesus' command is how we love God. One of the ways in which we love God. So by focusing on in, we're focusing on up. But just turn back a page or two. Chapter 13. And verse 34, the bottom right-hand side. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Note this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Two results of focusing on in. The first is that we grow up. Actually, the other is that we have an impact out. By this, i.e. loving one another, will everyone else know that you're my disciples. The word will spread. The Christian church will be the worst kept secret. People will want to know what it is about the quality of our relationships in that sources us with up, as it were. Sources us with, God's not up, he's around, but for simplicity's sake. And fuels and, and empowers our mission out. So by focusing on in, we are by very definition, according to Jesus' command, We are not being introverted and introspective. We're focusing on the Lord and we're drawing and inviting and declaring to others. By this will others know that you are my disciples. So we pay attention to our relationships here at St. Dionys. But how? How does this dynamic work? How does this become real in our lives? And in one sense, I say, well, it's a command of Jesus. Back to verse 12 and verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. And again, I wonder whether you just hesitate there. Let's strike you as odd. My command to you is to love. Can we compel love? Can I command someone to love? Can Jesus command us to love? Isn't love an invitation? Isn't love an offer? Isn't love laden with implicit freedom to choose whether to love or not? Surely, if someone seeks to compel us to love, that itself is not loving. George Orwell, his classic book, 1984, Big Brother. And... uh, the principal character, Winston Smith, who uh, is a refusenik. He, he will not 
bow or submit to the totalitarian state that is Big Brother. And uh, so he's tortured and uh, oppressed, brainwashed, and uh, amid all the kind of uh, the subjugation of Big Brother, there is within that the command from Big Brother that every subject should love him. And Winston refuses, but eventually he's ground down, and in the end he capitulates. And Winston himself declares, I love Big Brother. And we know, as we read the book or if you've seen the film, you know that in that declaration of love for Big Brother, Winston has ceased to become human. What a contrast. You see, the context for this, uh, these chapters in John is when Jesus, the Lord of the universe, has taken off his robe and has grabbed a towel and wrapped it around his feet. And he, he has stooped down and washed his disciples' feet. He's served them. He's done the task of a menial servant. He's taken it on himself. That image is still ringing in them, shaming them, shaking them. The question through the Gospels is always, who is this? He rattles my cage. He shakes my worldview. Who is this? And John wants to say, the Gospel writers want to say, the New Testament wants to say, I'll tell you who this is. This is the guy who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He doesn't hang on to his status. He lets it go. And in letting it go, he acts out the ultimate in love. There's a clear allusion to the cross here, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus acts out the greatest thing that love can do. He goes to the cross. He gives up his life for us. And in so doing, he invites us to draw close to him. He invites us to love him by way of response. Unlike Big Brother in 1984, Jesus' act of self-sacrifice, his invitation to love, once we uh, accept it and respond, makes us more human, not less. As we remain in the Father's love, Jesus says, verse 11, your joy may be complete. He knows there's persecution. He knows there's going to be trial. If you read through the teens of John, the, the chapters of John, you'll see he's preparing them for persecution. The world will hate you, he says. And yet he promises joy amid trial and persecution. Real life. Heaven, kingdom, life on earth, whatever the circumstances. He promises fruit, not that will be tasty for a bit and then looks a bit manky, goes a bit bruised and wrinkly, but fruit that will last. Real life, lasting life, impacting life. There's the theory, the theology, if you like. How? How does this flesh out? In, in the world in which we live today, in the city in which we live today, that our cities... The, the, the newspaper articles, the leader columns and so on, in the last few weeks, they've been full, haven't they, 
of, I mean, it's become a phrase, it rolls off the lips now, the breakdown of community, the breakdown in society. How is it that we've got an 11-year-old murdered on our streets by a teenager? How is it that every teenager carries knives and guns now in, the, in, these, in these gangs that seem impenetrable? Do, do, you, do you sit here I and mean, look at us here as if we're, we're a gang? We're the Parson Green gang. God's gang in Parsons Green. And we're, you know, we're quite numerous. I don't know, I'm not good on these things. Are we about 100 here now? But do you ever think, what impact are we having, even in Parsons Green? What impact are we having on the Sands End estate? How can we make a difference? And particularly you rabbit on, Vicar, about us being in. How does us being in affect out there? Lots of analysis. I get the, the week. It's a kind of compendium of the news. And here's a compendium of all the articles. Here's what was said in The Independent on, on this kind of uh, gang culture, this breakdown of society. Uh, this is Camilla uh, Batman in The, in the uh, Independent. These children, she describes as damaged children who've witnessed violence throughout their lives. They're so emotionally numbed that they're capable of anything. Madeleine Bunting in The Guardian. There are now 1.2 million NEETs, and she defines a NEET, N-E-E-T, as not in education, employment, or training. There are 1.2 million NEETs aged between 16 and 24 in Britain. We've failed Rhys Jones, she writes, but we've also failed his killer. Uh, Robert Whelan in the Daily Telegraph said this, the link between family breakdown and crime is now so strong that research has become superfluous. And Carol Sala, writing in The Times, uh, just remembering a time only two or three generations ago when communities looked out for one another. She, she writes this, When I was growing up, everybody involved themselves in the maintenance of other people's children. We were regularly ticked off, even for minor transgressions. But, she writes, we were protected too. In recent years, the door of the family home has slammed shut as neighbor has come to mean nosy, and nosy has come to mean bad. Individualism and fear has crept in. So what's our response to that as a church, where we practice community? That's why, incidentally, I, I, I know some people are uncomfortable with this, but I like, as part of our worship, that we, we meet one another, we greet one another. It, it seems to me it's part of what God is doing I like, I sometimes think that actually church really happens from about 20 to 12 when we serve the coffee. <laughs> and you stop sitting there in solid silence and you mix and meet. It's, it's prophetically reclaiming God's humanity, God's relationship. We make that statement. The reason why we focus on in is so that we, we know what it is that we can take out. How? Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Are you saying I have to die, Tim? Well, not in the same way that Jesus did, but let's think about Jesus' death and then apply it to our own. What was Jesus doing when he went to the cross? When Jesus went to the cross, 
He was dealing with the very thing that ruptured our relationship with God. He was dealing with sin, the barrier between us and God. In taking the punishment of sin on himself and smashing the barrier, he was restoring our relationship. He was bringing two parties at enmity together as one. And he invites us as his followers to do the same kind of thing. Where are there barriers in our relationships? Where is there a distance? Where is there coolness? The Christ-like thing, the sacrificial thing, the risky thing in following Jesus is to discern where there are hindrances, barriers and distance and to break them down or to shorten them, or reduce them in some way. It's hard. It's risky. Some of us find it easier than others to extend the hand of friendship, just a handshake, to meeting someone. Those of us who are quieter and shy, it's, it's sacrificial. But that's the call. That's the command. Not to be content with my own little circle of friends, but to constantly look to break out of the circle of friends and acquaintances, to meet and greet others, and thereby practice the very process of, of lowering barriers, of fostering relationship, of restoring trust. That's why we practice that here. The other day, I was privileged to see this in operation, this laying down the life for the sake of others. It was with the home group leaders. I meet with them uh, on a fairly regular basis. There was, I don't know, six or seven of us in the room. And uh, I just said to the guy, I said, how are you? How are we doing? And one of the leaders there said, um, I want to be honest. I'm not doing too well. In this regard, in that regard, in that regard. I, I, I want to confess to you this and this and this. And what that person was doing was laying down his life. He was sacrificing pride. And whatever right he and we may feel we have to autonomy and to self-preservation, he laid it down and invited us in, as it were. He took a risk, just as Christ did on the cross. Christ went to the cross not knowing what, how a single one of us would respond. We might all have just turned away. Futile death. That's the risk he took. That's the risk this person took as he followed Christ. We could have said, well, you know, <laughs> better than you. <laughs> but we didn't. We were drawn, you could almost feel the body language of the room drawing towards this person. All we really wanted to do was say thank you, thank you for being real and authentic. Will you allow us, to, we'd love to pray with you. Will you pray for us? Other people felt called to, to share. Actually, you know, I've been struggling in this area and others have been struggling. Yeah, I'm, I need your help. It was an extraordinary, sacred time. I rang the guy up um, a few days later. I, you know, how are you doing? One of the things he said to me, if I'm honest, I didn't feel then, uh, I don't feel now really, that was particularly Christ-like. 
um, I came the nearest to rebuking him. That's absolute nonsense. That was totally Christ-like. How did Jesus come to us? Did he come in a fanfare, in a great golden chariot? No, he came in the vulnerability of a child. Tiny, small. He was anonymous for years. No one knew who he was. What's the first thing he did here? He washes his disciples' feet amid all the crap of their lives. He gets down and does that. He makes the first move. He risks in order that he might be intimate. I don't want to call you servants because a servant doesn't know the master's business. I want to reveal myself to you. I call you friends. That's exactly what took place on Monday. Risk and sacrifice, the initiative, intimacy. That's what we're called to model here as a church. When I say intimacy, I don't think Hollywood and sort of smooch. The world has taken that word and has laden it with, with innuendo and stuff. Intimacy, to many people, is what happens in the dark. Christians, intimacy is what takes place in the light. When we bring things out of the darkness of our soul and into the light and say, brothers and sisters, this is who I am. Please pray for me. Help me. Encourage me. Speak scripture to me. And as, we come, as it comes into the light, it's so freeing. It's so releasing. And it draws us closer together. And together, it draws us closer to God. That's the invitation for us here at St. D's. As we practice in. In a few minutes, I'm going to, um, after our final song, I'm going to invite Ben and Carrie to come and join me. And we're going to pray for them as they start a new house group. They've got a few people who are with them. I think there's room for more. Would that be... If you want to practice in, I, can, I tell you, I'm envious of that house group. I'd like to, I want to be in that house group. I've got another, I love being in my house group. But as I was looking at the names and looking and thinking of their leadership, I thought, wow, that's going to fly. You want to practice in? Talk to Ben and Carrie. Get involved in a house group. I can't command you. I can't compel you. I can't make anyone join a house group. can't make any of you do anything. But, oh, I invite you. To, to share in something of what I was part of on Monday night. But if, for whatever reason, it's not a house group, it's not a meeting of one another, then when we gather together, will you take the risk, the sacrifice? Will you go to someone that you don't know that well and seek to make some kind of link, relationship, I mean, have a, have a phrase in your mind as you go up, just, what are you going to say? Because sometimes I think we just shy away because we don't know what to say. Something like, I've seen you come to this church like I do, and I really appreciate the fact you're here. Oh, that feels awful, doesn't it? It feels quite cringy, actually, to say that. Risk it. <laughs> See what happens. Find your own language. Don't use mine. But, but go beyond the, the barriers that build up so that we've been here for a few weeks now I ought to talk to that person but now I feel too and I can't do it and it closes in and we, we become what's going on out there individualized atomized little units of fear and Jesus has modeled how we break that down and we're called to follow in his footsteps final, final thing don't bother to turn to it and with this I finish but John had, this had really soaked into John and so he says this 
in his letter, John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. The premise is that we want God's love complete in us. We want to be complete human beings, full of joy, with lasting fruit. We do that as we seek to carry out Jesus' command to love one another. And as we seek to love one another with the risk and the sacrifice, but with the desire for intimacy in the biblical sense, a real, authentic closeness one with another, then God's love is made complete in us. We remain close to the Father, and by this shall all people know that you're my disciples. We start living authentic Christian lives for our sake and for the sake of the wider world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sean and...